Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Christopher Reddy will join us to discuss science communication. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, in the day and age when science misinformation seems to abound, it's more important than ever to be able to communicate science, particularly in a crisis. Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Christopher Reddy. Dr. Reddy is a leader in the study of marine pollution and the development of environmentally friendly industrial chemicals. He's currently a senior scientist in the Department of Marine Chemistry and Geochemistry at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution and is a faculty member of the MIT-WHOI Joint Program in Oceanography. has led transformative research that crosses disciplines and guides policy decisions worldwide. He has penned the new book, Science Communication in a Crisis, an insider's guide, and he joins us today to discuss this very fascinating topic. Dr. Reddy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok's Science Show. Thanks so much, Charles. It's real, real pleasure. Well, it's certainly a great book you put together here, Science Communication in a Crisis. I'm curious why you decided to put the book together. Well, I started thinking about it about 10 years ago. Three kids come along and kept pieces of scrap paper and just was pulling my hair out during the first stages of COVID. And I just felt like it was time to write what I had to write and maybe share it with my colleagues. That segues into the whole point of the book. There was a lot that went around about COVID, a lot of misinformation, and it really came down to oftentimes getting good scientists to communicate what was going on in a crisis, perhaps no more so than Dr. Fauci at that point, who seemed to, can we learn things from that particular event? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I don't think we want to be too, too hard on the scientists in some respects. But yeah, I mean, I think it's very teachable to see about who was effective, who wasn't effective where we can learn from that. And I mean, you know, sometimes we just have to keep in mind that Fauci is just a significant outlier, such great talent that just an outlier, you know, I mean, he throws everything out because his talent and his past experiences are so far ahead of everybody else. But after that, I think that, yeah, we have a lot to learn. And I think that my advice to a lot of people is to start local. You don't have to be on the Today Show to make a significant impact as a scientist. It's an area where scientists aren't really trained. Perhaps there ought to be more of that training. There isn't enough training. I think a lot of the training is a little bit off. And But it, at the end of the day, there is not a huge incentive if you're in academia to communicate science. It's not often valued that much. There's a lot of talk about it. There is a need to communicate science, but I try to tell my colleagues that don't think of it about as checking a box. Think about it as making it you a better and more enriched person. Communicating science is an opportunity for us to think a little bit more broadly. But yeah, I think there's great opportunities for us to, to have more teachable moments about communicating science and think about it as an opportunity to actually become a better scientist and a better person. It really is part of the job of being a better scientist and a better communicator. Otherwise, it's left to people who may not be delivering the information correctly or in the most effective way. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's maddening, too. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around so much out there. And we so desperately want to say, go look at the figure, look at these graphs. But a lot of folks don't have any interest in graphs and figures. Dealing with environmental challenges. What have you learned from your trying to communicate scientifically, especially in a crisis? Well, I think the most important thing is to recognize who's your audience, what they want to know, what they consider a successful outcome. And I think a lot of times where scientists get really hung up is twofold. One, they want to lead with what they don't know, because that's how we're so careful. So we don't know this, we don't know this, we don't know this. Most folks don't want that. They want to know what we do know, what might be knowing in the future, and where are the big challenges. So there's this concept of leading with what we know. And I think that to me is just where we've got to really button in and, and get to that point about letting folks know what they want to know and do it in a timely fashion. More often than not, we want to tell them about these great projects that we'll have and just wait three years and we'll have this paper and you'll know everything about it. But at the end of the day, most of our audience that scientists interact with when we leave the ivory tower, not willing to wait three years and they're not willing to learn about all the things that we don't know. They want to know what we know at what level of certainty and how it might change in the future giving that top line summary because you know, oftentimes we're trained to couch things in relative certainties and really what the public oftentimes wants is the soundbite. Yeah, no. And I mean, you know, I think that it's a huge challenge and it's just, it's a question of where you feel comfortable and practice. A lot of science communication is thought as kind of like, you know, getting your driver's license. Like, okay, I took a three hour workshop and now I can drive a car that may be true, but you're not going to win NASCAR the next day. So if you want to try to communicate to the media in particular, you have to practice. And I, again, would say start local, practice at your dinner table and with your friends on your sports teams. And, and that's where you hone and get your craft going. Folks who win marathons and the Olympics practice every day. And if you want to be successful, you want to do the same thing as a scientist. You can't explain your work to your grandmother. Perhaps you ought to start there. Yeah, no, and I think this, but you know, you're absolutely right. And I, I tell scientists to start local, and I mean local, like with your family, because often we're always worried about the risks. We're worried about the blowback from our colleagues. Am I not going to get tenure because I said this wrong and all these things? So where do you practice? You practice with people who like you and love you. And that's where you hone your craft, where you minimize the risk and you get great reward about communicating your science and, and nourishing people about what they're hungry for and coming to you to serve it. And that is really rewarding. And so I say start at home or local and whether the risks are low and the rewards are high. What lessons have you learned in terms of trying to convey your point most effectively? You know, I think you have to walk into every individual and think of it as a new outcome and really ask myself, you know, what is going to be a successful outcome? And it sounds so simple. It sounds like some type of self-improvement book. But at the end of the day, identifying what is a successful outcome gets you to start identifying who you're going to speak to, what do they value, what do they want, and at what time scales. And, you know, that's my advice to folks is to listen and not lecture and have a really good understanding about who you're going to talk to and why are they spending some time talking to you. Like, we're so busy. We have all these other things. Why? I could be listening to your podcast. Why am I coming to you as the expert? And then try to work from there. 
What sort of stumbling blocks did you encounter along the way? Things that you wish you had known before you you started all this? Oh my God, you could have like four shows on all the mistakes I've made. I think for me, I was very cocky early on, and I just dismissed anybody who didn't have a PhD in a research lab. And you can make a lot of mistakes when you think that you're the smartest person in the room, and that. Because I've published X many papers, I have this red cape on and I can fly around and save the world. Uh, what you learn very quickly is even if you have a ton of research papers published, U.S. patents and professional awards, you're not going to have impact unless you appreciate who else you're going to talk to. And that has hit me in the face so many times about me thinking like, yeah, I know all this stuff. They should get it because they're talking to me, but that doesn't jive. This whole idea of what my value system does not work in everybody else's value system. My value system is papers published and impact and, and, and how many grants I've raised. Audience doesn't really care too much about that. They want to know that you've got your chops, but it's a different thirst that needs to be quenched. I mean, you certainly have to know what you're talking about, but appeal in, in many ways to emotions and to sway people. I mean, and that's where I think that you have to be mindful that there are some folks who just may never feel comfortable, right? I mean, there might be a lot of scientists who may never be comfortable at that, and that's okay. You know, I mean, there are many ways for folks to communicate science besides doing a four-minute bit on the radio or something like that. That takes a lot of skills, and some people are comfortable. So I remind scientists that they don't have to do everything, you know, go to their strengths, recognize where they think they could have impact, where they think that they would be happy and they'd get some personal satisfaction. Not everybody should be on TV, including me. <laughs> if not for scientists, then who? There's certainly a great group of science journalists out there. Yeah. So I, I think that when I look back at COVID, I look at, you know, Johns Hopkins had this tremendous website. And I look at the success that they had in communicating science and updating people. It wasn't just because they had a bunch of PhDs. You know, they had really good graphic artists and they had people who understood where to put placement and what was the most effective way to convey the information. So I do think that we have to have scientists willing to communicate, that they recognize that there's value, but also that there's a sense of teamwork and that a more successful, more enriched public will be when scientists work with folks who have expertise about how to package information in a way. And I look at some of these websites and I know that I couldn't make it. You know, if I was making a website, it would be the ugliest Excel spreadsheet with the smallest font and the most obscure colors. And that's not going to be effective. But if you work as a team with folks who understand how to, how to frame and answer questions, then I think a scientist can be a very effective a player in terms of informing our public. Media savviness being so important these days that you think a lot of institutions are beginning to invest a little bit more for these types of individuals at their institutions to help fuel that pipeline of information. You know, it's hard. You know, I, I did this huge research trying to figure out all that. And I mean, if you go back and you look at a lot of these files about what gets you tenure, that's really said about what the value system is, about where is the value in, in communicating science. What I would tell university professors, I mean, university administrators is, okay, you want us to have more outreach, or even it's the funding agencies, you want us to communicate science more. Well, if, if that's the case, then you need to effectively help us get trained. 
you have to identify a value system that five really good radio interviews is equal to you know a research paper or something like that. And I think most importantly, that's kind of overlooked is, is your university willing to have your back? So you make a mistake. Well, of course, you're going to make a mistake, but are they going to be willing to help you out and get through it and, and recognize that you were trying your best and it just didn't go wrong? So if you want to get more science communication into the academic system, you have to educate, you have to support, and you have to be willing to understand that mistakes happen and that's just the way it is. But just telling people that they got to communicate science better is not going to work. I think a lot of academic settings tend to be a lot more risk averse these days and they'd rather their faculty not say anything. No, it's true. I mean, I look at all the, I really worry about a lot of these scientists who are really kind of pushing and making these pleas on the internet, social media about, you know, that they need to be more activist. And I'm not going to tell anybody how, what their approach is, but I look at some of these folks and I go, be careful, whoever is paying for you or you're supporting you, are they willing to have your back? Will you still have a platform if you go too far? And I worry about folks that there's a lot of push to tell scientists they have to be more activists. And, you know, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. But they have to be careful about whether or not they're going to be less effective because of that. Is there going to be a net benefit? Well, certainly the idea behind the tenure system, which was that was their security for being able to say these things, but increasingly under attack these days. And that ability to say the things that are important and need to be said without fear of reprisals is slowly starting to erode. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, so you don't even have the basic potential protection. But again, going back to a value system, there is no currency. So there's no great incentive on paper. You're looking at your promotion file, how much you're going to get a raise. I don't think the incentive is there. So if a scientist really wants to do it, they're going to have to do it for their own personal rewards. I don't think the academic system is there. But again, is are you willing to handle the risks? And it's not very warm and comforting right now. All kinds of scientific misinformation. Do you think the challenges are ahead are just going to become even even more prevalent and require even more combating from people who actually know the difference? I got to tell you, I worry about, I can't stay abreast of everything. And I'm, again, just a chemist, but it makes me really nervous about the vaccine averse. I mean, that's where, again, I'm just a chemist, but I just have the hardest time seeing just how much folks push back on vaccines and is it going to tip so bad that we're going to be putting ourselves back in a hundred or years back in terms of our health system and just how much that's going to put pressure on. So that, yes, I think we're in tough times and, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I do worry. Challenging times indeed, and lessons to be learned from your book on how to confront those challenges from the scientific side. I, I'm curious, we are running slightly out of time, though. Final messages regarding your book, Communicating Science in a Crisis. I wrote this book so that scientists would get a feel for challenges and how they can be most effective. And I also wrote it for the media and other folks to get a snapshot about how scientists work and what our culture is. And if you want kind of the inside baseball of science and you're curious about science and how it plays in your life, then go grab my book. We were just talking with Dr. Christopher Reddy, his new book, Science, Communication in a Crisis, an Insider's Guide. Dr. Reddy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thanks so much, Charles. I really appreciate it. 
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.